Good morning. My name is uh, Brendan, and if you are new here, so am I. Uh, this is actually my uh, third week here, and uh, I'm married to a beautiful lady called Tash. We have four children, uh, hence even more gray hair, uh, from 19 through to 10, and uh, we hope to be in this beautiful community by the end of June, beginning of July. And so we need homes and schools and those type of things. Um, well done. That was brilliant. You know, friends, we, we get involved in areas of justice, whether it be the homeless or teenage pregnancy or um, unemployment or domestic violence, and you can carry on for this reason. Not so much because God has given us a lot and we want to bless others or because we feel sorry. It's because Jesus is returning and he's going to make everything right. And until he does, we get to partner with him in making things right. And you might go, well, like, well what does it really make? Can we really have an impact uh, in the incredible injustices that we see? Well, we don't have to worry about that. We just do what we can do. And we're not the initiators. We're actually uh, just joining with the King of Kings. Um, and I can say that because we've lived that uh, for 17 years in our previous community. Um, that uh, there is something that attracts the Father's gaze. There's something that... Uh, am I okay with my sound here? Baldo, am I okay? Uh, there's something that draws his attention when we as believers do. And there's two things. One is when we start to pay attention to those who do not know God and we start to, to minister to those who do not know God, the lost. And then secondly, when our gaze and our attention and our efforts are drawn to those who are marginalized, the least. And when you start to invest your life into those two areas, you attract the resources of heaven behind you. And so what a privilege it is to partner with you, and we look forward to playing happy football in the future. So this is my third message. You came back. Well done. Well, some of you did. <laughs> the first message was around Psalm 23, the Lord is our shepherd. And uh, really, David says that it's possible to live with God without lack. It's possible. Then the second time I preached, I preached from Jude. It says, Now unto him is able to keep you from falling and present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. And we talked about that uh, we all stumble, we all fall, but uh, there is a king who lifts us up. Not only does he lift us up, he is able to present us as perfect before the Father. So I push that down a bit. Thanks, Walder. Okay. And uh, this morning, I uh, want to just look at a characteristic that is absolutely key for us to navigate the stresses and the realities of life that we face. And um, that characteristic is called patience. If you had to rank yourself as a patient person, 10 being good, one being terrible, what would your score be? 
Those of you with over five, won't you raise your hand? If you've got over five, raise your hand. Jeez, you guys are an honest congregation. <laughs> this is what we kind of think patience is. We think patience is when there's a queue in the home affairs and it's a three-hour queue and someone butts in, we don't react, we don't get angry. Or when there is um, uh, a traffic jam and someone, you know, cheats, we don't get angry, we are patient. Or when we've got four kids and they are um, uh, misbehaving, we don't get angry. That's, you know, we, 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 say to a per- we, we describe a person that they have, they're a patient person or they're a patient mom. And, you know, there's an element of truth to that. But it's not the biblical definition of patience. Let's have a look at what the biblical definition is. And Paul says something about God. And he says that God has unlimited patience. Or some translation says perfect patience. And in his book to Timothy, in his letter to Timothy, he says, he says, I was a violent man. I was an insolent man. I was the worst of all sinners. But God put on display to me his unlimited or perfect patience. So if you're not familiar with the story of Paul, here was a guy who was committed invested in making sure that followers of Christ were put under great pressure, thrown in prison, tortured, and he was even there as he watched a Christian uh, being killed. This man was wicked. He was evil. To watch another man just being stoned because of his belief, what type of a man does this? And then he says, but instead of God... Punishing him instead of justice flowing to Paul for what he's done. He never got justice. He got mercy and he got kindness. He got commissioned by God. And he says, what is this, what is this word that I would use to describe God? I would use the word, God is patient with me. So let's put ourselves into God's perspective and what does patient look like? It's saying, I'm going to withhold justice for Paul for what he's done and I'm going to bring to him kindness, but it's going to be at great cost to me. And so a biblical definition of patience is kindness under great trauma. It's love when you actually want revenge. That's patience. And uh, I want to look at three case studies uh, that James will write this morning. Three case studies of people who uh, were under pressure and they responded well. And what will, in those three case studies, there will be three trials or three temptations and then three responses. And then finally, uh, I want to look at the one who enables us to be patient and then we'll land in communion. Is that okay? Good. If you are cold and you feel like doing star jumps, you know, you're welcome. This is the Word of God. And I love that um, Colin made us stand for the Word of God because it is worthy of us standing. James 5 verse 7 says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, 
being patient about it until he receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spake in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You've heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. So James is writing to a community under pressure. Uh, that's why he starts off with, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. Um, and so he says, well, how do you navigate life under pressure when you're faced with things that are exceptionally difficult or unjust or not fair or not what you expected? What do you do? And James says, there is a characteristic that you need to bring to the party, and that characteristic is patience. And he says, well, I'm not just going to just give that to you. I'm, I'm going to give you three case studies for you to think about. And the first case study is a farmer. And he says, well, a, a farmer can work really hard. He can plow the land. He can get the seeds. He can do everything in terms of what he needs to do. But then he has to actually rely on the rain. And um, whilst we can make plans with dams and irrigations, in those days certainly uh, not it would be the farmer would be dependent on the rains and in those cases two rains uh, the one rain that would be necessary as you plant and the other rain for um, harvesting so what happens when there is no rain and now suddenly you're a farmer and you see you know the crop is growing and it's just showing some fruits and uh, you've got a choice you can wait for the rain and you'll get the full harvest, but what happens if the rain doesn't come? Perhaps you should just maybe harvest what you have and at least get something. And uh, James is really saying to you and I, he says, so much of your life is out of your control. So much of you know, what, what happens in life is bigger than you. If we just take COVID as one example, COVID has interrupted our lives. And um, the great temptation of a farmer and the great temptation for us is we go, okay, we'll wait a little bit, we'll wait a little bit, we'll wait a little bit, but then we'll take control. Okay, God, I'm going to take control because it looks like you're a little bit slow and maybe you and I can do a better job. You know, Maybe I should take the initiative. Maybe you're behind that. And... Um, we're not just talking about little things. We're talking about large things. Because if a farmer does not harvest or harvest incorrectly, he's got no income. If there's no income, there's pressure on the marriage. If there's no income, there's pressure on the family. This, these are real life events, not just about food. And you and I are often faced with life events where we suddenly don't have control and we want to get control. We want to just... And we want to take, we want to get hold of the reins of our lives that we can feel, that we can control. We said, God, we've waited and we've waited and now it's time to act. And James says, you can do it, but it's called impatience. And what I'm saying to you is, 
It's not about the little things like traffic and queues, and you know, those are just part of life. I'm talking about the things that are massive, that, that so impact us, and the cost of waiting, the cost of actually waiting is deeply impactful. And we wonder to ourselves, if we wait, will God come through? That's the real thing. If we wait, and it makes no sense for us to wait, for God's reign to come through. Will his reign really come? And so we begin to take decisions without God. Yes, we pray about it, but we begin just to take the initiative. And whenever, time, whenever we do that, we move into something called impatience. And it's a lot more difficult than what you think. My family was off to New Zealand. We had handed over our church the doors were opening. It looked like God was all over this. We didn't grab it. It was God who was leading the process. And on the 15th of March, Sora Ramaphosa said, there is this thing called COVID and we're going to go into lockdown for three weeks. Okay, we can do three weeks. We can push pause for three weeks. And that three weeks became three months the doors to New Zealand closed. Now we find ourselves. No church. Hey God, this is, wasn't what we expected. No way to go forward. And then temptation to make a plan. To say, well, I'm the father. I'm the provider. I need to go out and do something. And I'm not saying you don't take initiative and you don't work. I'm talking about running ahead of God. I'm talking about waiting for his reins to fall. And James says, if you wait, the rains will fall and you will get a harvest. Always, because God's good. That's case study number one. Case study number one, the temptation is, or the trial is, wanting to take control of things that God has not called you to control. Case, number, case study number two is the prophet's. There are many prophets, but let's just have a look at Ezekiel. Ezekiel prophesied in the name of the Lord. He was faithful to what God had called him to do. He speaks out and says, three and a half years and there's going to be famine, no rain. No rain means no crops. It means it's an economic disaster. He's kind of saying there's going to be an economic disaster. Who wants to bring that message? But he's faithful with bringing the message, and instead of getting like the rewards of God, he gets a lady called Jezebel who wants to kill him, and she's got an army. And so when James says, consider the prophets, he's saying, what happens in your life when you do what God has called you to do, when you're faithful, when you take the risk, when you give up work, you do everything that God has called you to do and you end up in trouble. You end up in, in a, an environment that you never expected because this is what we think. We think that if we obey God, when we step out in faith, when we actually do what he's asked, asked us to do, well, he's committed to making our lives to the extent, to, in the way that we think. That's how we operate. Faith pleases the Lord and his pleasure will surely look after us. 
And James says, no, no, there are going to be times in your life where you actually do the will of God. You're in his perfect will, and you end up in a mess. It's like, well, what happened there, Lord? Prophet Jeremiah, faithful, he's left in a well to die. Well, that wasn't our form of what we thought following Jesus was about. And so... um, these are all bankers, by the way, and by what I mean by banker, you might not be there now, but at some stage you might be. And so, I find myself not being able to provide for my family. And it wasn't my desire to go to New Zealand. We felt, we heard God speak. We asked for a, something to confirm it. God gave it. Lord, we're doing your will. We obeying you. We wasn't. We weren't wanting to leave the country. We were very happy here. Not an immigration issue. It's an obedience issue. Lord, we obeyed you, and look at us now. What's the next step, Lord? My marriage is coming under pressure, Lord. My children are wondering. You told us you're going to New Zealand, but now. It wasn't what I expected God to do. And James says, when uh, you find yourself in that position, look to the prophets. You're not the first person to go through this. Others have. And what is the, what is the hope in that? He says, God looked after the prophets. He'll look after you. You just, you just stand firm. And then the third case study is Job. And all of these are case studies we could take a whole lot of time to talk about. So, if you're not familiar with Job, he was a very wealthy man. He had lots of children. He had everything you wanted. And God took away his wealth, which is traumatic took away his children, which if you've ever spoken to a person who's lost their child, it's possibly the most traumatic thing that can ever happen to someone, by far, to lose a child. Took away his friends, his friends started to accuse him, took away his respect in the community, and then, to make matters worse, his wife, who you kind of think will go, I've got you, babe, you're my man, we're going to get through this together, his wife says, cursed God and die. It's like, she's the very person that you want to stand with you at your, she's like, I'm not in this. And so, what is James calling us to do when he says, consider Job? He's saying there's going to come times in your life where what happens to you is not right. It's not just got nothing to do with you. It's just there's un- injustice happens. And you speak to a lady whose husband had an affair and now they're divorced and she's left with the financial responsibilities of the kids. You know, who can bear that? Or sometimes it's the husband. It's the other way around. What about a family whose child has a disability and the disability produces medical bills that are crippling. 
what's, what's just about that? What about a husband who's just become a father and has cancer and probably won't live? What does the wife do with that? What happens when you're a follower of Jesus and you experience life as incredibly unjust? What happens when you don't get a job because of the color of your skin? Last night I was reading about a man called Jack Deere. And um, I think he was a, a, a leader in the, like, in the 80s when, um, when John Wimber was, was coming into being. And uh, he, he walked alongside John Wimber. And um, his son shot himself and um, committed suicide. And after his son committed suicide, his wife started to drink. She became an alcoholic. And then she left him for a period. And now you've got a godly man. He served God his whole life. His son has committed suicide, and his wife has left him. Hey, God, what's that about? And, um, and James says, there, there comes times... When, uh, when you experience life as unjust and he called you to look at Job because your situation will probably never get as bad as Job's. And then he says, but Job received mercy and compassion. Okay, there's three case studies, Brennan. You've given us, you know, three temptations that we face. What's the temptation of Job? The temptation of Job is to harden your heart, is to become bitter or resentful, and to say, God, if this is what you're about, I don't want anything to do with you. Or against that person who's caused injustice, maybe it's your boss, maybe it's a person you had a relationship with, I don't know. That person, when you see them, your heart just shuts down. What does patient really look like? And patient looks like, were you able to show kindness and love to the person who gave you injustice. Yeah? That's, an, that's patience. It's, you know, in, in, in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, what does love look like? It's always read out in weddings, but it's con- completely out of context. You know, love is patient, love is kind. And everyone goes, oh, yeah, love is patient, love is kind. It's so beautiful. Well, if you think about love, you know, the, the very essence of the Christian witness is how do people know that we, 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 we love Jesus is the way that we love one another and the way that we love our enemies. The very, the very center of who we are is the way we love. And Paul says, okay, let me put words to love. What does love look like? Love is patient. The number one thing, the first, I would never put patience as the first way of loving people, yeah? But it is. Because it's the hardest. In fact, I think it's impossible. I don't think it's possible to really love like that. To, to, to show kindness and grace to people who have done you harm. Who does that? It's impossible. And you should be saying it's impossible too. How is it possible to still actually lift up your hands and worship God? 
when you're like Job and it feels like God is devastated? How can you carry on showing love to others when your world is devastated? How is that possible? Well, James says, hey, there are three, three groups of people you can look to. And so my encouragement to you this morning, because all of us will hit these moments, is the, the word of God is so helpful and so beautiful. It says, hey, look back at, look back at the, the heroes of our faith. They've been through what you've been through, and God brought them through. And then secondly, um, I think we need to look around because most of these things that I'm talking about, you cannot handle by yourself. You need people around you to actually help you show love and kindness in the circumstance that you're in, either back towards God or to people. You, you need help. I need help. How can a wife truly show kindness, maybe not even verbally, but in her heart. How can her heart, her heart be healed to a man who had an affair and betrayed her? How can, how, how can that happen? Well, we get a group of friends around us who can help us. So we look back, we look around, but most importantly, we look up. And I want to try and make this as practical as possible because sometimes we use spiritual words and you all nod your heads, but it doesn't help you tomorrow. And so we look to the Father, we look to the Son, and we look to the Spirit. And I just want to help you actually do those things practically. What does it really mean to look to the Father in terms of this aspect of being patient, of showing incredible love and kindness where it's incredibly difficult and we don't want to and our heart just is angry and we just filled with a deep sense of disappointment and anger. What is looking to the Father help? Or Brendan, how do we actually do that? What does it look like? We need to look to the Father. And if you remember the definition of patience, it's showing love when you should have had revenge. It's showing kindness when you should have got even. That's the definition of patience. What are we looking to the Father? And we're saying, Father, actually, you should have... And I look at my life and how I've looked, lived my life, and I can only speak for my life, not you, although the Bible does include all of us in this. When I look at my life, I'm amazed, Lord, that you didn't sort me out. Because I was just like Paul, Lord. I'm exactly the same. Exactly the same as Paul, Lord. Just the things, Lord. Dishonored you, Lord. And yet, Lord, you didn't sort me out, Lord. But in love, that which should have you given, that, that justice that you should have sorted me out, Lord, you didn't give to me, Lord. You gave to your son. You, you, you punished your son, Lord. Well, what's that about, Lord? For God so loved the world. What does love look like? It's patience. That he gave us one and only son. So you actually, in these times, you actually need to meditate on the Father and say, God, I just want to remind myself that you showed unlimited patience towards me because you love me. It's a demonstration of your love. Therefore, Lord, would you help me to love those around me? The second person we look to is Jesus. 
And Jesus, you know, on the cross, naked. I think naked is the most shameful position to be. You know, we talk about pain and the trauma of the cross, but what about the humiliation? Jesus humiliated instead of me being humiliated. Why did Jesus do that? It's because love is patient. Will you ever get to the ends of actually just understanding the magnitude of what Jesus did on the cross for me and for you? And friends, one of the great dangers of being a Christian for longer than a year is you lose the sense of wonder of what Jesus did for you. It's just, it's yeah, Jesus died from the cross, cross for me. Let's move on. You can't move on from the cross. It's so beautiful. It's the only reason I'm standing here. Because he was crushed and he was broken and he was humiliated and he was shamed so that I wouldn't be. But I deserved it. And so did you. And we didn't get that. We got love. That's patience. And we look to the Spirit. Why do we look to the Spirit? Because the Bible says that the Spirit is deposited within us, guaranteeing in our inheritance. Well, what does that mean? It means he's never going to leave you. It means the deposit is deposited. It's never going to be withdrawn. Well, practically, what does that help me tomorrow, Brendan? It means that even, or let me put it this way, there is no trial, no injustice, no, nothing that you will ever face that the Holy Spirit won't enable you to walk through and stay faithful to God because he's promised not to leave us. He's a deposit. And so you might going, well, you, you know, as we go through these things, we often feel like failures. I've blown it. I haven't shown love. and I haven't been very kind. I, you know, I just fall short. Well, the good news is, you know, patience is not about you going, okay, tomorrow morning, I'm going to strive to be more patient. When things come that are just so frustrating, so unfair, so wrong, I'm going to be more patient. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying patience is a fruit of the Spirit. It's a result of the Holy Spirit enabling you to do the impossible. So your job is to surrender to the Holy Spirit, not to strive. Okay, I can be more patient. No, just allow the Holy Spirit. And I'm telling you, friends, I hope you don't find that rude when I'm saying I'm telling you. you know. The fact that I'm even here this morning is a sign of God's goodness. And finally, there's good news. is that James says he's coming back. And so... Every single injustice, every single thing that we face that's not right, Jesus comes back and makes right. So the word of God is helpful. The encouragement for all of us, and my desire for all of you, and I don't know if we are live streaming. Ah, praise Jesus. Hello. <laughs> A little bit late, but hello. Here's my desire, 
is I want to see every single one of you finish the race in love with Jesus, in love with the bride, and able to take that overflow of love to a broken world. That's what I want to see you do. That's my desire. That's what we work for. And the characteristic that we want to place at the center is this characteristic called patience. And so um, we're going to take communion now. And um, this is my first time of taking communion in this format. It's a little bit strange to me. But Jesus is not uh, that bothered. If you don't have one of these, raise your hands. There's just two aspects to communion. The first one is the Word of God says that we're to examine our hearts because we actually are partaking in uh, and recognizing the blood of Christ shed for us and the body of Christ broken for us. We can't just do it like, well, you know, I've got lots of things to do and yeah, we'll do this. No, you actually just say, Lord, is there anything in my heart that hasn't pleased you? And then we take a moment just to say, I'm so sorry, Lord, or if it's with someone else, we need to make right with them. And then once we've done that, we can, actually, we can actually partake with thanksgiving. Um, and I'm going to make a suggestion. I'm not sure if it will work, but I'm going to try. Is I think it would be lovely if once I've prayed for you, you can take communion with someone um, in this audience as long as you're not afraid in terms of social distancing, you know. In other words, if you have connected with them before and um, you, you're not, you know, that's okay. Well, let's let's do that. If you want to just keep your distance, that's also fine. And the reason why I'm saying that is because I think communion is always a together deal, and COVID makes it more difficult. But let's see if we can just, if if, if you know, you, all that I'm saying is I'm giving you permission to go to someone else and just say, hey, listen, can we take communion together? Um, and uh, and then just as we take communion and you share the body of Christ broken for you and the blood of Christ spilled for you just take a moment to say hey listen is there in this impossibility of, of patience is there any area that you would like to minister to be prayed for and then do that and um, and then once you've done we will just continue to come back to worship and Colin will close the service. Um, Let's pray. Father, as we um, come to partake in your body which was broken for us and your blood which was shed for us, I do pray, Lord. I just want to say thank you. We're so amazed. And I pray for a fresh revelation for every one of us of the incredible breadth and width and height of the love that you have towards us. And I pray that you would enable us, Lord, to live out that love in this week to come. In Jesus' name, amen.